Welcome back to Corruption of Child Protective Services. I am your humble host, David Shore. Now, I'm going to start off by first welcoming to my listening to my podcast, The Countries of Ireland. Hmm, let's see, Australia and Canada. Sorry about the long pause. Had to actually think we're along with Nigeria, Ghana, and the United States. Thank you very much for tuning in. It is very appreciated. Now, this episode is the one that I told you about, and I know you have been waiting anxiously to hear about the Hatch Letter. Now, the Hatch Letter, if you want a little background in it, the Hatch Letter came from the, uh, it's called the Hatch Amendment, actually. Senator Orrin Hatch introduced it in 1978 and it passed in the U.S. Congress as part of the Education Amendments of 1978. Here's a little of what uh, Senator Orrin Hatch had to say. The techniques used to change young children's attitudes and values are an invasion of privacy in the first degree, especially in some of the innovative testing questions soliciting young children to pinpoint their father's or mother's faults or in another ESEA-sponsored program, which actually had the students of an elementary school class collectively put their parents on trial following which the mother and father were always found guilty. Again, what am I concerned with? As are my colleagues who have co-sponsored the Parental Consent Amendment is not the monitoring of basic education, but of the behavior probing tests, games, and surveys currently being conducted. That was a testimony before Congress on August 23rd, 1978 by then Senator Orrin Hatch. So, you're probably wondering, okay, what is the letter? Well, just bear with me and I will get to that letter. In fact, there's more than one letter. Now, one of the best ways to stand up for your child and protect your family's sovereignty and right to privacy is to take advantage of the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment. Let me say that again. The Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, commonly called the Hatch Amendment. If anything in school is fully or partially paid for with federal funds and you have this letter on file and a curriculum or survey or whatever would invade your child's privacy under this law, then they are not supposed to subject your child to it. So long story short, if you tell them they can't do it and they do it anyhow, they just violated your rights as a parent's and the law under the 
Hatch Amendment. Now, the only shortcoming appears to be a lack of an enforcement mechanism attached to the law. So if the school violates the spirit of the letter you have on file, there may not be a way to punish it through the courts or in other ways. Though publicizing what happened to your community's electorate and taxpayers is always a good way to prevent a reoccurrence. Long story short, since it's an election year and you have law enforcement that went along with CPS and they said, oh, it's perfectly all right, this letter means nothing. Then, uh, and I will get you, we'll be talking about their response to your letter. So, let's go on with this. Now, this is a sample of the Hedge Amendment letter. For this reason, society requires that the education of youth should be watched with the most scrupulous attention. Education is a great measure, forms the moral character of men, and morals are the basics, basis of government. Noah Webster, 1758-1843. I'm just stating who Noah Webster was. Now, the original model Hatch Amendment letter crafted by Senator Orrin Hatch, Hatch's office, he was from Utah, was sent to family-friendly libraries by a dedicated New York mom who heard it on a Turning Point program by Dr. David Jeremiah. Another wise mom from Michigan has since used it with some additions that we believe are helpful, particularly when you still have some definite positive connections with your child's school and want to keep those positives going. The result is an alternative letter which retains its strong parental rights message while encouraging good relationships that exist to continue. I'm going to say this right now, and it also states what I'm reading, that feel free to use either model or adapt it to your own situation even further. Now, it states, well, first you have the date, and then dear building principal. As a parent of Lil Johnny, who attends XYZ school, We thank you and your staff for your interest and effort in seeking to provide an excellent education for our child. Your commitment and skills are deeply appreciated. We are proud of the level of excellence in education that XYZ School provides in each classroom. And we thank you for all that you do to contribute to the education of our son or daughter. We would like to address the issue of our ability to review classroom material via this letter. Now, before I go on any further, the state of California is starting to teach certain things. And it's also going around the country that parents are told they cannot monitor their children while they're doing virtual classwork. This letter would definitely come in handy. 
Let's continue. Our desire is that we are able to review materials and address issues with our child concurrent with the curriculum and within the framework of our family, as well as having the appropriate knowledge to discern the curriculum's alignment or lack thereof with our family's beliefs. Under U.S. legislation and court decision, parents have the primary responsibility for their children's education, and students have certain rights that the school may not deny. Parents have the right to be assured that the schools do not unknowingly or knowingly impair or weaken the students' beliefs, moral values, and belief systems within his or her family unit. A student has the right to hold his or her values and moral standards without direct or indirect manipulation by the schools through curricula, textbook, and AV material or supplementary assignments. Schools and families successfully working together as partners in education and communication of curriculum content will further strengthen the ability to provide students an excellent education in a way that strengthens individual families and our community. Under the Hatch Amendment, we hereby request that our child not be involved in any school activity or material listed below unless we have first reviewed all the relevant material and given our written consent for their use. Values clarification Use of moral dilemmas, discussion of religious or moral standards, role-playing, open-ended discussions of situations involving moral issues, survival games, including life-death decision exercises, contrived incidents for self-reevaluation, sensitivity training, group encounter sessions, talk-ins, magic circle techniques, self-evaluation, autocriticism, strategies designed for self-disclosure, including the keeping of a diary, journal or logbook, sociograms, sociodrama, sociodramas, psychodramas, blindfolded walks, isolation techniques, death education, including abortion, euthanasia, suicide, use of violence, discussions of death and dying, curricula or books and reading materials pertaining to religious beliefs, including elements of witchcraft, drug and alcohol, nuclear war, nuclear policy, nuclear classroom games, globalism, one world government, curricula, discussing anti-nationalistic views, evolution, discussion and testing on interpersonal relationship, discussions of attitudes towards parents and parenting, health education, including human development and education in human sexuality, including birth control and premarital sex. When we return, I will continue reading this. But if you're starting to get upset, just wait. It gets worse. We will be right back. Welcome back. Well, it's starting to get exciting, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Well, let's continue on this one hatch letter. Psychological and psychiatric treatment or adult and peer counseling that is designed to affect behavioral, emotional, 
or attitudinal characteristics of an individual or designated to elicit information about attitudes, habits, traits, opinions, beliefs, or feelings of an individual or group. The purpose of this letter is to preserve our children's rights under the Pupils' Rights Amendment, the Hatch Amendment to the General Education Act, and under its re- regulation as published in the Federal Registry Register on September 6, 1984, which became effective November 12, 1984. These regulations provide a procedure for filing complaints first at the local level and then with the U.S. Department of Education. If a voluntary remedy fails, federal funds can be withdrawn from those in violation of the law. Let me read that again. If a voluntary remedy fails, federal funds can be withdrawn from those in violation of the law. That means if they don't listen to you and they do it anyhow, that is a violation of the law under the Hatch Amendment to the General Education Act that's on that is published in the Federal Register Register on September 6, 1984, and it became effective November 12, 1984. It continues, we respectfully ask you to send us a substantive response to this letter attaching a copy of your policy statement on procedures for parental permission requirements. We also ask that you notify all of our children's teachers with a copy of this letter and keep a copy of this letter in our child's file. Our purpose and intent is to work cooperatively with the schools in congenial and positive attitudes and actions with our child's best interest in mind. We fully support your efforts to provide excellent education within our community and for our child. And we are grateful for each teacher and administrator's dedication to our child's success within school. Please feel free to call us with any questions at any time during the course of the year. Again, We thank you for your cooperation and excellent efforts in providing for the education of our child. Sincerely, and you put your name. Now, excuse me, there is another one. It's called the Hatch Letter, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the United States. What I will be reading is just the letter. But you can also add the Constitution. In the parts of the Constitution, it clearly states your rights under the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, Eighth Amendment, and Fourteenth Amendment of the United States Constitution. It reads, From, and you, you fill in from their address, your address, to the school says, Dear such and such, I am the parent of who attends blind school under school. Under U.S. legislation and federal court decisions, parents have the primary responsibility for their child's education and pupils have certain rights which schools may not deny. 
Parents have the right to be assured their child's beliefs and moral values are not undermined by the schools. Pupils have the right to have and to hold their values and moral standards without direct or indirect manipulations by the schools through the curricula, textbook, books, audiovisual materials, or supplementary assignments. Under the Hatch Act Amendment, I hereby request that my child not be involved in any school activities or materials listed unless I have first reviewed all the relevant materials and have given my written consent for their use. Here they are. Psychological and psychiatric treatment that is designed to affect the behavioral, emotional, or attitudinal characteristics of an individual or designed to elicit information about attitudes, habits, traits, opinions, beliefs, or feelings of an individual or group. In other words, you can't, that you wouldn't be able to tell your child who to like and who not to like. They couldn't use these this treatment. Values, clarifications, use of moral dilemmas, discussions of religious or moral standards. That means if you don't want them to talk about God in school, they can't do it. Role-playing or open-ended discussions of situations involving moral issues and survival games, including life, death, decision exercises. In other words, oh, if uh, someone's going to shoot your friend, if you don't do something, what are you going to do? Can't do that. Contrived incidents for self-revelation, sensitivity training, group encounter sessions, talk-ins, magic circle techniques, self-evaluation, and auto-criticism. Strategy, in other words, if you're white male, you're supposed to criticize yourself. Sorry, that don't fly. At least not with me. Strategies designed for self-disclosure, including the keeping of a diary or a journal or a logbook. In other words, oh, uh, turn in your journals so they can see what's in there. Okay. Sociograms, sociodrama, psychodrama, blindfold walks, isolation techniques. Death education, including abortion, euthanasia, suicide, use of violence, and discussions of death and dying. You're supposed to go to school to learn ABCs and 123s, not, hey, did Billy try to blow his brains out? Curricula pertaining to drugs and alcohol, nuclear war, nuclear policy, and nuclear classroom games. Globalism, one world government, or anti-nationalistic curricula. Discussion and testing on interpersonal relationships. Discussions of attitudes towards, towards parent and parents and parenting. Educating in human sexuality, including premarital sex, contraception, abortion, homosexuality, group sex and marriages, prostitution, incest, bestiality, masturbation, divorce, 
population control and roles of males and females, sex behavior, and attitudes of student and family. Now, remember, this was back in 1984 when they wrote this. Not recent. Pornography and any materials containing profanity and or sexual explicitness. In other words, you can't show an uh, issue of Hustler Magazine or Penthouse. Guided fantasy techniques, hypnotic techniques, imagery, and suggestology. Organic evolution, including Darwin's theory, discussions of witchcraft, occultism, the supernatural, and mysticism. Political and or religious affiliations of students or family. Income of family. Non-academic personal personality traits. Questionnaires of personal and family life attitudes. The purpose of this letter is to preserve my child's right under the Protection of Pupils' Rights Amendment, the Hatch Amendment, to the General Education Provision Act, and under its regulations as published in the Federal Register of September 6, 1984, which became effective November 12, 1984. These regulations provide a procedure for filing complaints, first at the local level and then with the U.S. Department of Education. If a volunteer remedy fails, federal funds can be withdrawn from those in violation of the law. I respectfully ask you to send me a substantive response to this letter, and I think we went over that before. So, the next letter, I believe, is the one you have been waiting for. So, when we come back, don't go anywhere. Because this next letter may be the one you have been salivating on, the one that will put CPS and the schools in their place, protect your children's rights, protect your rights as a parent, and more importantly, making sure that your child comes home from school. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Well, as promised, we're getting to the one letter you have been waiting for. The one letter that you can use to fight against CPS. At least as far as interviewing your child at their school. Now you put the school's name and address in the upper left-hand corner. Underneath it, it says, to whom it may concern... This is to notify you that we, the parents of, do not give any employee a representative of in, of said school permission to have our children questioned, interviewed, or in any other manner engage our children in conversation outside of the classroom setting about any non-academic topic without us, their parents, or our duly appointed representative present. We are prepared to take legal action if our demands are not adhered to. You are not allowed to allow anyone from any outside agency or organization speak with our children under any circumstances. Our children are not permitted to participate in in non-academic questionnaires, tests or evaluations, 
We also do not give our permission for our children to be medically examined in any way. If you believe there is some medical problem that must be addressed, inform us and we will obtain the appropriate examinations and treatment. Our children are not allowed to participate in the following classes. DARE. They are teaching about domestic violence in the DARE program, including such things as when parents yell at each other. It is considered domestic violence and child abuse. In our school district, CPS workers came in for two days of the D.A.R.E. program to indoctrinate the children against their parents and handed out their business cards telling the children to call if they got spanked or punished. Sex education. The good touch, bad touch classes actually teach children how to turn their parents and others in for sexual abuse. Since such abuse often leaves no evidence, it is a perfect allegation to make since the accused is presumed to be guilty. Signed, and you sign your own. Here's another one. And let's see if you like this one as well. Now, you put dear sirs or dear ma'am or whoever. This letter, oh. This is the uh, reply letter to uh, this letter. This letter is written in response to your request that your child not be involved. No, I know I just started reading, but I want you to re- he- listen to it very carefully. This is their way in which they think legally they can get away with this. But it sounds like Orrin Hatch had thought about that. He wanted to make sure that you, the parent, were in control of your child's education. Not the school, not CPS, not the government. But let's see what the, what the superintendent would say. This letter is written in response to your request that your child not be involved in certain school activities or in the use of certain instructional materials without your prior review and written consent. This request has been submitted to use under the terms of 20 United States Code 1232H, Protection of Students' Rights, commonly referred to as the Hatch Amendment. So, before we go any further, let me read that again to you. That's Title 20, United States Code 1232H. As the protection of student rights, commonly referred to as the Hatch Amendment. Remember that right there. If you have to listen to this podcast several times, do it. But know that one. But if you think you're out of the woodwork... As my late parents would say, it is the policy of the Hope Page Cooperative Schools, whatever school it may be, that parents and other members of the public have the right to inspect instructional material used or being considered for use in the schools and to comment upon these materials. The establishment of a curriculum and the decision to include or remove particular materials within the curriculum are the legal responsibilities of the school boards acting as the representative of the local community. The Hope 
pay, you know, the schools have a procedure for parental complaints about curriculum and instructional material. If there are specific matters which you believe are improper or objectionable, you may submit a complaint through these procedures. However, the law does not give each parent the right to to condition his or her child's attendance at school or any particular activity upon prior approval of the content or teaching technique used. In other words, they're telling you, you you can't tell us that uh, we can't teach your child. The schools acknowledge and comply with the Hatch Amendment requirement for parental consent prior to psychiatric or psychological examination, testing, or treatment in any program funded by the United States Department of Education. The HOPE pay, okay, the schools does not construe this provision to require parental consent to ordinary classroom activities or teaching techniques. The public schools are not interested in undermining the efforts of parents or manipulating the beliefs of their children. That's a joke, but uh, we'll go on. All aspects of the curriculum are open to inquiry and discussion by concerns, concerned members of the community. However, the schools are charged with the duty of providing an educational program and in fulfilling that duty are empowered with significant discretion in setting curriculum. The request set forth in your correspondence cannot be granted. This is not to say that any of the described activities occur at the schools, but merely recognizes that the request fails to account for the public interest and function of the schools as a community institution and overstates the purpose and effect of the Hatch Amendment. This is what's called a reverse, well, there is a reverse Miranda letter, which I will get into in a little bit. But what they just said was, I don't care if you are the parent, we're going to teach your son about homosexuality, about masturbation, about suicide, maybe how to commit suicide. And now schools are telling you, the parent, oh, you cannot monitor what we're teaching your child. In other words, this is the response that chances are you're going to get back. That's not to say that you don't have the right to pull your child out of class. If you feel that that school is not beneficial, then by all means, take them out. Take them out of the school. Okay, I'm going to hold off because this next one might be the actual one that you're looking forward to and when you hear it it's probably going to go that's the letter you may say that but I have to say this when I look at this and it's like well, why not have this in our child's folder at all times. How come we were never told about this? And it's very easy. They made sure that you couldn't find it. It's always out there. Just that no one ever stopped to think of the Hatch Amendment. 
for education. We never thought that. I know I didn't. And chances are any of you that had your children interviewed at their school, you didn't think about this. I mean, if you actually had, you could have just done that. They'd have to tell you, hey, look, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, this is off, you know, Mr. Smith, we're going to, CPS is here, going to interview your child. You could have said no. We want our lawyer present when child, little Tommy, little Susie is being interviewed. When we come back, I will go over this hatch letter. If you like this letter, by all means, write it down. I, when I come back, I will try speaking as slowly and clearly as I can so you can write it word for word. And I will say this. I hope each and every one of you, I hope every parent defeats CPS that right at the school level And I hope that CPS doesn't get another child unless that child is really being abused. We'll be back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, this may be the very one you have been waiting for. The letter that might strike a chord with you. Like I said in the last segment, I will say this as slowly as I can and as clearly as I can. It reads, school name, school address, phone number, upper left-hand corner. That's from you, the parents, your address and phone number, R-E, this is in regards to phone your your children. Put your names of all your children there. It reads as follows. To those it may concern. Once again, to those it may concern. Pursuant to the fourth and ninth amendments to the Constitution of the United States of America. Colon. One, my children will not be allowed to be removed from their classrooms by any agent of the government slash SCDSS without a properly executed search warrant. Two, my children will not be isolated in the presence of or interrogated by such agents without the presence of the parent's representative and the children's legal representative. Let me repeat that second one again. Number two, my children will not be isolated in the presence of nor interrogated by such agents without the presence of the parent's representative and the children's legal representative. That means a lawyer. 
CPS will argue with you. The school will probably argue with you. But this is the letter. Number three, in the event that such agents present themselves on school property and have shown proper government identification and a legally executed search warrant, said children will not be removed from classrooms for the purpose of any form of questioning or interrogation prior to notification and presence of one or both parents, the parent's representative and child's legal representative. That part there I like. Prior to notification and presence of one or both parents, the parent's representative and child's legal representative. In other words, they can't question them or anything without a lawyer present. It's just like if you say you want a lawyer, police cannot interrogate you. Now, going on with this letter, I am, for the record, refusing to consent to an, any interview of, search of, or physical examination of my ch- children, my home, or myself, and I am refusing to waive any rights pertaining to myself or my children. If you ignore my exercise of these rights and attempt to procure a waiver, I wish to confer with my attorney prior to any conversation with law enforcement and or child protection agency on the subject of waiver. Any action taken in violation of these instructions is prima facie evidence of bad faith and of an overt and willful violation of my rights without my consent and severs the responsible party or parties from any immunity protections provided for under the law based on the presumption of acts committed in good faith. These instructions remain in effect as long as my children are enrolled in this school or until rescinded in writing by me. What do you think? Do you like that one? That's short, that's sweet, that's to the point. To paraphrase it, you're telling CPS you're not interviewing my children without a warrant. You're not, or a court order. And my lawyer will be present with my children's representative. So, what do you think so far? Is it everything you thought? Well, guess what, boys and girls? We are not done. Oh, no, 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 no. I'd like to read you something that happened May 14th this year in Indianapolis, Indiana. The title of it, WRTV out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Foster Children's Lawsuit Against Department of Child Services to Move Forward. Yeah, you heard correct. And we went right into a lawsuit. <laughs> How do you like that? Hey, 
when I dig things up, I dig it up good. And on the next segment, I'm not just going to hit in Indiana, not just the United States. I'm going to find cases out of the countries such as Australia, Ireland, Ghana, Nigeria, Canada. I'll find cases all over the world. A federal judge, no, here it is. This is Kara, K-A-R-A, Kenny, K-E-N-N-E-Y. Good reporter. A federal judge upheld several legal claims this week raised by 10 foster children who have sued the Indiana, Indiana Department of Child Services and state leaders claiming the state violated their rights by failing to protect them from harm when placing them in foster care. What? See, the Department of Child Services violated their rights? Wow. As RTV6 reported in June 2019, a group of children filed a class action lawsuit against Governor Erica Holcomb, the Indian Department of Child Services, and its director, Terry Stigdon, alleging Indiana is failing in its duty to protect more than 22,000 children in the state child welfare system. Oh, wow. The children are represented by Indiana Disability Rights, by A Better Childhood, and by the law firm of Kirkland and Ellis. Kirkland and Ellis are one of the best law firms in Indianapolis when it comes to this. This is a great victory for the children of Indiana. Marsha Robinson Lowry, the attorney for A Better Childhood, said... We can now proceed to develop the facts and prove to the court that it should bring to an end to the unconstitutional harm that has been inflicted on so many Indiana children. These children are all entitled to a better childhood. Wow. So what she's saying is what I have been saying all along, that children are being abused in the system. And yet the system has done absolutely nothing. The names of the children are not identified in the lawsuit, and that's good. Quote, as the court succinctly stated, the ADA uh, requires the Department of Child Services to make reasonable accommodations or modifications to avoid discrimination of children with disabilities in the foster care system. This decision is a great step in the right decision to allow plaintiffs to show how DCS has systematically failed to make such modifications, which in turn has led to unnecessary or prolonged institutionalization of children in the care of DCS. That's from Nikki Gray, the attorney for the Indiana Disability Rights. This is going to go a little long, so... Bear with me. The state had argued that the case should be dismissed altogether because a federal court purportedly lacks jurisdiction and because the plaintiff's complaint had alleged failed to state legal claims, according to the Indiana Disabilities Rights. The director of the Indiana Department of Child Services calls 
a class action lawsuit puzzling and misleading in a statement issued in June 2019. Miss Stigden, you're picking on children with disabilities? How dare you? Jeez. The timing of this filing is puzzling concerning the significant strides our agency has made since we publicly took responsibility for our shortcomings one year ago. I want Hoosiers to know I take the concerns of all the children and families we serve very seriously, said Stegton last year. It is easy to cherry-pick our most challenging cases to support a narrative suggesting this is every child's experience, when in reality, the average number of homes a foster child lives in while in DCS care is two. Miss Stegton, I'm calling bullshit. You know it's a lot more than that. More than 114,300 Indiana children are currently receiving care outside of the home, including with foster families. Like I said, this is going a little longer, but this is very important. The lawsuit alleges Indiana consistently fails to protect children by, one, placing them in inappropriate, unstable, or overly restrictive settings. Two, failing to provide necessary support services and medical care. Three, failing to provide meaningful case management resulting in delayed or no services and little oversight of a child. Five, allowing children to languish in foster care for years before they are reunified with their primary caretakers adopted or age out of the system. In December 2017, then DCS Director Mary Beth Bonaventura resigned to Holcomb, warning that Indiana officials were placing children at risk, quote, in ways that that all but insured children will die. Indiana children are being put at risk. Outgoing DCS Director says in scathing letter to Governor Holcomb. And then next episode, I will go over that. I'll go over what Mary Beth Bonaventura had said. But there's a part that when I say it, it your jaw is just going to drop because it looks like she's on the favor of the parents. Truth of the matter is, she's like any other DCS director. She could care less about the children and more about how much money that they bring in. I'll just say this. The children should be at home. If they're being abused, get the parents' help. But this has to stop. I gave you the hatch letter. Told you the different ones. Told you what's going on in Indiana right now. And next episode, I will be going over cases all around the world. Just to show you that CPS doesn't change. The cover may change, but the way they do things are the same. This is David Shore for Corruption of Child Protective Services. May you all have a blessed day.